0: And it is happening in two weeks, so not next Sunday, but the following Sunday, which gives you time to invite somebody else to come. Um, we, got some pretty, uh, we got some pretty good cooks in our church, and if anything to come, it would be just to eat their food. You know, um, and so this is a great invite. It's a great opportunity for you guys to come to something that we usually do a competition with it. We do a crock pot and a chili cook-off because we know some people don't like chili. So there's other crock pot meals that people tend to make as well. Um, If you have anybody in mind that likes to cook as well and they want to come and enter the competition, we can do that. Um, If you have anybody else that doesn't like cooking and they just want to eat, they can come as well. You know, And so we have plenty of opportunities for that. Um, It's one of my favorite events of the year just because it is free food. Um, and most of our high school and college kids know that struggle. Um, So invite some people around, and we'll we'll see you guys for that in a couple weeks. We are in the middle of a sermon series uh, that we have been going through for the majority of the year called To Be Continued. And this sermon series, uh, this was our decal for it, um, or our logo for it for this year on the screen, and it was kind of cool that we had a Bible with kind of like a busting out version of To Be Continued Because what we're trying to do and what we're trying to accomplish this year at our church is we believe that the story of Acts after Jesus died on the cross and the disciples went out and started changing the world, we believe that in the first century, the, the history that was written down about what happened in that time was not just a lesson for us to learn from, but it was a lesson for us to continue in our own lives. And I like our image on how it kind of busts through the pages because the reality is that the Word should be living and active in our lives today. We believe that the scriptures are meant to not just be something we read like a storybook, but we read it for application so we can continue that lifestyle in our own lives. Um, For what they did in Acts, it was meant to be a continuation of what we're trying to do today. And I I truly believe that the story and the history of the Christian church hundreds of years from now is heavily dependent on how we choose to act and live today. Um, Our kids and how our kids will be raised will be detrimental to how we choose to look at uh, how we look at the Christian faith in the next 20 or 30 years and how our our kids treat their kids. It's just it's a passing down. And there is some sort of link between the people in this church and the first century church. There's somehow a link that has been passed down to what we do today. And what we believe is we want to continue that the best that we can. And so we've been going through this all year and we're actually landed in Acts 19 and 20 today. We've been kind of just breaking apart the book of Acts And today we're a little bit in the book of Acts 19, or the chapters 19 and 20. And you guys have some uh, notes if you guys want to follow along with in your guys' bulletins. We'll have some points on the screen along with verses that you guys can kind of follow along with if you guys get sidetracked or I get too boring and you fall asleep for a little bit. You can always catch up without feeling like you don't know where you're at. (laughs) Um, And so we start off, the, the topic today is three dangers facing the church and how we guard against them. So yes, today is going to be a church talk, um, and we're, it's going to be talking a lot about the church, which is the body of believers. And if you're not a part of that, and you believe you're just visiting with us today, and you're trying to investigate a relationship with God, or, or maybe you've been a part of a church, but you don't really feel like you have a church, this isn't necessarily talking about the crossings church. This is talking about the church in general, which is the body of believers, the Christians at large. I believe when you look at church, a lot of people will say churches are just a different building. But I believe when, when the, the book of Acts describes church, what it's saying is, is if you took all the buildings away and you took all the trees and you took all, and it was just one flat land, you would be able to identify the church by people, not by locations, by their hearts and how they commute with each other, not by where they choose to serve. And so when I talk about the church Try not to look at just our building and the people inside of it, but there is an understanding today that what we're going to be talking about, that we have to operate in a way that adheres and respects the rules and the things set up and the dangers that can happen inside of any church, um, regardless of where they're at and who they're choosing um, to lead. And so we're just going to jump right in. We're going to talk about three different dangers that the church faces today like it faced in the first century and how to combat against those. And so the first danger that we find in 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 this passage is the danger of false or incomplete teaching. This is something that's a danger that the church will always face, did face, and is currently facing, is false and incomplete teaching coming inside of the church building inside of the body of believers, inside the church. And Paul says here, he says in Acts 19, it says he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you came to believe? They replied, we've not even heard of, that there's a Holy Spirit. So there's a red flag right there, right? So if you're sitting down and you're talking with other Christians and you say, hey, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, we did. You know, there was a such thing. Wouldn't you think that that's a red flag in their faith? Wouldn't you think, like, wait a minute, you know, because, like, we study, we study out baptism a lot here at the Crossings Church when people want to join membership and they want to they commit to a body of believers. We talk about baptism a lot. And it's funny because if you get to that point and you're like, hey, have, when you were baptized, did you receive the Holy Spirit? And if they're like, no, nah, what's, what's the Holy Spirit? I'm like, in my head, I'm like, okay, well, then maybe you don't completely understand baptism when you did it back in the day. Let's walk through this and talk through this. And that's kind of what Paul does. He says, what baptism did you receive then? They answered, well, John's baptism. Paul explained, John baptized with a baptism by which people showed that they were changing their hearts and lives. It was a baptism that told people that there was one who was coming after him. This is the one in whom they were to believe. This one is Jesus." And so what he's saying to them is like, listen, the baptism that you guys had, that was a good baptism, but you didn't have the whole story yet. You didn't understand that there was somebody coming that was going to one day die on a cross and there was going to be a final sacrifice there. And that was going to be a relation to your baptism and that there was going to be a spirit of him that's going to come within you and it's going to be able to help you on this walk. You did a baptism out of a good conscience. You did a baptism that was going to maybe change some, some good deeds in your life and change the way you choose to live. But you didn't have the spirit. You didn't have the power come within you when you were baptized. You see, they didn't get the whole teaching. They got a part of it. And what was the response? After they listened to Paul, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. You see, I believe in what we believe here at the Crossings Church, that there is only one baptism. And I'm not gonna get into all that today, but what I believe is if you feel like you were baptized at some point in your life and you didn't understand what it was for, you didn't realize the commitment, you didn't look into scripture on why you were supposed to be baptized and you didn't have the mental capacity to commit to those things, I believe that wasn't a legitimate baptism. Now that's my beliefs based on what I read in God's word. And even some of these people that were a part of the church at the time chose to get baptized again Because they didn't understand the cost, the commitment, and the understanding of everything that they signed themselves up for. And if that's where you're at today, that's kind of like a little side note. But just the understanding that our minds can be opened if there is more legitimate teachings that need to be told through Scripture. You see, a lot of people get baptized in their lives because it's what they were told to do it's because what their churches told them to do. They got put on some kind of schedule and they were chosen to be baptized because it was like a monthly thing or their moms and dads did it or their grandmas and grandpas wanted them to do it before they died or they were so young they wanted to make a ceremony out of it and all these different things. And, and that's fine if a family wants to do that, but my, my question always to that is, where's the scripture? Where's the heart and life change? Where's the commitment out of that person to make that choice? And that is baptism. That's what he's talking about here in false Sin and incomplete teaching. But we're not just talking about baptism because I think we live in a culture and a society that outside of baptism, the entire, the entire understanding of the Christian faith is being watered down. I believe when you look at churches around America, and it doesn't have to be baptism, it could be any other thing, that they, we are choosing to find hot topics in culture and change and, and not give full, complete teachings on what Scripture says to accommodate the culture around us. And it's so frustrating to watch people, even in my own life that I've watched that have been pillars in the Christian faith, people who have wrote books or people who have, who have been very highly renowned Christians in their lives and have, left, have led a life of a lot of people to a relationship with God, change their own theology on hot topic issues because the world around them is not liking the way that church is choosing to act. Talking about sexuality, talking about putting other things in front of God first, talking about how a family dynamic should be constructed, talking about how life should work. These these theologians are choosing to look at their lives and say, you know what, I did believe that back then, but now it's really impacting the church that I go to. It's really impacting the number of people coming here. I'm getting a lot of heat for what I stand for, so maybe I didn't have it right the first time. And now what I'm going to do when I get on stage is I'm going to choose to give an incomplete teaching. I'm not going to give the whole thing anymore. Or I'm, honestly, I might even give a false teaching. I may kind of twist this around to make it accommodate to the congregation that I'm choosing to talk to today. Because I don't want to be somebody that's unliked. I don't want to be somebody that chooses to be attacked so let me change the way I teach. And the crossings is, is, no, is no different. The crossings is, is, is in the same kind of danger as every other church. Honestly, I believe our church is honestly in more danger Because we are a restoration church. And if you're visiting with us, what that means is we don't have a lot of generational disciples in our church yet. We don't have a lot of people in our church that their moms come to church and their grandmas come to church. And that there's a generational cycle that our young people here in the church are here because moms and dads brought them in. Grandmas and grandpas brought them in. They're here because other kids their age brought them in because of something that they experienced themselves. And their moms and dads may not be here. Their grandmas and grandpas may not be here. Just a show of hands, how many of you guys here in this room today, your mom and dad are here? Other way around, sorry. How many of your moms and dads aren't here? There you go. Restoration church, right? You don't have a generational cycle. And it's not saying that your moms and dads are in terrible places. Maybe they have their own churches that they're going to. But some of you guys, you would say, my mom and dad are in a pretty bad place. My mom is. My dad's not even alive anymore. He was an alcoholic. He overdosed a couple years ago. My dad was in a real bad place. I never got a chance to restore that relationship with him. So my family is in a real bad place. And the danger that comes in this context of false and incomplete teaching is that there were things that I should have been taught as a kid that I wasn't. Because I didn't have moms and dads that brought me to church. I didn't have that opportunity to learn these things at a young age. And so when I became a Christian, which was right around college time for me, there was about an 18-year gap of things that I probably should have known and things I should have been learning and absorbing in my relationship with God that I just didn't. And for the majority of you guys that probably raised your hands, you would probably say the same things about your life, that you weren't given these things at a younger age because you didn't have that opportunity to be in church because moms and dads that you guys had your hands raised probably didn't bring you to church. If so, they may have been here with you today. But that's what our church represents. Is we we want to go find people. But the danger inside of that is when we find people that don't know anything about Scripture, and then they choose to commit their lives to Christ. That takes a long time to be mature enough to understand Scripture in a way that you don't know how to how to, or that you do know how to speak it clearly. You know, I believe anyone. I'm a campus minister here as well, so I work with our college students and, and our and our youth ministries. And I believe for the most part that the majority of our college students, if I was to have them walk in front of somebody at a college campus and that person says, tell me about Jesus, I believe that the majority of our people could. I believe the majority of the members of our church could go and talk to some unbeliever about the message of Jesus and what can happen because of that. What I don't feel confident in is if somebody comes and says, listen, here's a baptism that I've had. I don't know if it's legitimate or not, but here's some scripture. Here's my theology and my background. What would you say about this? I don't feel very confident that the majority of our membership would be able to confidently look through scripture and say, well, in scripture, here's A, B, and C and my theology on why I believe what I believe, and maybe you were taught something different, so here's your theology. Let's look at our theologies and look at scripture and figure out how they relate. You see, it's a lot easier to reach an unchurched person with limited information on Scripture because they're naive and they don't know any better. And so that's why even some of these big mega churches have an easy time bringing people in because they don't know better. They don't know how to draw other people in because that's all they've been taught. What's difficult is to take a church kid who grew up in church in a a backwards theology and sit down and talk to them about a different theology in God's Word versus church doctrine, and show them something different. That takes some time and knowledge and some homework on our end. And so I think it's important for us to understand that we are at a huge danger in our church if we're not willing to mature, and that's to combat here, right? So to combat this, we must be able to teach confidently and consistently, But how many of us can actually say that we can confidently teach God's word? Not how can we get somebody to be a Christian, but how can we confidently teach his word to people who already know who he is? But also do it in a consistent way. You see, what happens here when Paul says this, he moves on a little bit further down in Acts 19. It says, Paul went to the synagogue and spoke confidently for the next three months. So he came in and he talked to them about this baptism stuff. And then he he gave them some information that they did not know beforehand. He did his homework. He knew his knowledge. And then he sits with them for three months and he interacts with those present and offered convincing arguments concerning the nature of God's kingdom. You see, these weren't naive people. These weren't people who didn't know anything about God. If you know anything about our church and our leadership, we say this all the time. It's a lot easier to reach an unchurched person than it is a church person. Right? It's a lot easier to reach somebody who doesn't know anything and has this clear palette that you can paint on than somebody who has all this stuff that they've already closed their minds off to and all this stuff that they're holding on to, all these traditions that they've always had in their lives it's so much harder to break through that. But what makes it even harder is when your knowledge can't match their knowledge because you don't know enough about Scripture. And it's our our responsibility as the church to do our homework, to get to that level of knowledge, to know enough about Scripture, to talk about these issues just like Paul was able to. And sometimes you're not going to be able to, you're not going to be able to crack that closed-mindedness. That's going to happen. When Paul ran into that, it says right here, it says, some people had closed their minds, though. See, these were already spiritual people, and they already knew about God, but they weren't willing to accept what Paul was willing to say. And they closed their minds off. But what does he do? He says, they refused to believe and publicly slandered the way. As a result, Paul left them, took the disciples with him, and continued on his daily interactions in Trianius' lecture hall. Right? And so we've got to get to a point of knowledge that we can teach confidently and consistently in the people that we choose to interact with, whether they're inside of our building or outside in the world. But the reality is, if people are willing to close their minds off and they're not willing to change and open their minds to God's word, well, it's just time to dust our shoes off and move on to the next town, move on to the next person. We've done our due diligence and we can at least have the conviction to say, you know what, I had enough knowledge To combat that. I had enough knowledge to confront that. I had enough, I had enough wisdom in my word with my God to say, listen, I don't don't think what you're doing is right. I don't think the way you're living right now lines up with God's word. And if they're willing to close their minds, well, you know, I don't believe the same thing you believe. Well, you can leave that at least saying, you know what, one day when I die and I go to heaven, I can tell God I was I felt confident in what I said and how I said it because of what I knew. But I'll tell you right now, in, in my in my my youthfulness as as a as a minister and, and my arrogance as, you know, somebody that was baptized when I was 19 years old and my first few college years, I have some regrets there are some people that I did not have enough knowledge to combat in their faith, and they had their own theology because they were were raised in church. And I looked back on that, and I said, man, I wish I would have known more about the scriptures. I wish I would have known more to be able to talk more. I wish I would have known more to provide convincing arguments like Paul was able to. But I I didn't know enough. I was immature in my faith. And I felt like a fool sometimes. Sometimes I feel like a fool even being here on stage because I'm still learning. I talked talked in the first service. I'm I'm a PE major, man. I went to school for PE so I didn't have to study. And here I am now, a a theologian in the flesh. (laughs) Like somebody who's trying to read God's word and apply it the best I can. I don't even know. There was literally a word on our lesson today, and I'm not going to tell you what it was. I didn't know what the word was, and I was sitting in that classroom, and because we, we had a different translation, and I guess I overlooked it when I was looking through the sermon today, and I was like, oh, I, I think that's the wrong word, and I had some people in the teacher's classroom look at me and say, no, that's the right word, and I said, well, that's just me as a PE teacher not knowing my vocabulary. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know all words, guys. I'm a, I'm a PE major, and I was like, well, I, I, I uh, appreciate the grace. <laughs> you know, I appreciate the grace given, um, but then again, as soon as I got done, we looked it up. We, it's, it's, it's funny in our teacher class. We literally looked it up. We looked at the definition because some of them didn't know the word either. And so I was like, oh, I didn't really know what that word meant. I'm glad that I know now. Now I can move forward with my life. And now I have the conviction to know that that's what the word means. Right. Um, and it's funny because I look at that and I'm like, still today on this stage, I am a student. You know, to this day, as I read through scripture, I still don't know everything. I'm still trying my best to be everything. And where we're at, we have to always be striving to learn. We all have to be students. No matter how old you are in your faith, no matter how far you are down the line in your relationship with God, we're all called to be students. But we have to have a conviction on what we know with our limited information to know more and to stand by what we stand by. Just like Paul did, he moved on whenever there was a resistance. He moved on when there was a closed and he took his people with him. So the first danger is the danger of false or incomplete teaching infesting a church. The second danger is the danger of a hostile world. The world sucks, amen? Right? <laughs> That's why we're all here today. Um, the, the world is, it, it's danger. there's danger all over in our world. And not only has it become dangerous, it's become hostile. Now, I'm not as seasoned as some people in this room. I use the word seasoned a lot because I guess the word old is a a trigger word with people. Um, So I stay seasoned. Um, And I know that there are some seasoned people in this room that you have lived a longer life than I have. You've lived a longer life than the majority of the people in this room. And you probably know through your timeline here on earth that you have seen how religion has been attacked a lot more. Right? For you guys that are a little more seasoned. And you, you can tell that there were times where it was, it was not out of the ordinary to see people walking around with Bibles. It was not out of the ordinary to see crosses and, and Jesus, you know, pictures hung up in people's houses. It was not out of the ordinary to be able to go and talk freely about, freely about these things and, and, and to feel like a warm, welcome environment was around your faith because people were totally accepting and understanding where that was at. Well, times have changed, and I think it's more of the seasoned congregation that sees that that maybe our younger generation doesn't understand the kind of freedoms and flexibilities that there were even 20 or 30 years ago in the Christian faith that now we deal with. And as we continue and progress, it gets even worse. You know, our our campus ministry that we partner with on the Missouri side, their student ministry actually lost their their organization status um, because of some, some stupid hostile stuff that happened in the church. And it wasn't even happening in the church. It was happening on the college campus, and it was the world that was spreading lies about that campus ministry, and they lost their organization status. What that would have looked like for us on this end is, you know how we do Fall Fest here? You know how awesome that is and how we had 1,000 people? We would never be able to do that here. The campus ministry wouldn't be able to do anything on the college campus. We wouldn't be able to host any events on the college campus. We wouldn't be able to get those flyers stamped hand out on campus. We wouldn't be able to get those mass texts sent out on campus. We wouldn't be able to hang those Pepsi banners every year on campus. We wouldn't be able to do it in that perfect spot every year on campus. We would not be able to touch the campus as an organization. That is what's happened to our fellow campus ministry in Missouri. Why? Well, there's a bunch of hostile people in the world that didn't like what they were doing and how they were doing it, and they choose to go after him. Well, they didn't have to deal with that in the first century. Well, let's read Acts 19 and see if they did. All right? It says, At that time, a great disturbance erupted about the way. There was a silversmith named Demetrius. He made silver models of Artemis' temple, which was a false guy at that time, and his business generated a lot of profit for the craftspeople. He called a meeting with these people and others working in trades and said, friends, you know that we make an easy living from this business. You can see in here from this Paul, uh, you can see in here that this Paul is convinced and misled a lot of people, not only in Ephesus, but also throughout most of the province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands aren't really gods. All right, so, so this silversmith's literally just kind of whittling and crafting these idols together and he's selling these false gods to these people in this time, Right. And then Paul starts coming in and he's like, hey man, these gods that you're listening to, they're false. They're not real. There's only one God, the God. And Jesus came and he came and he died on the cross and he saved you so you could have opportunity to live with him. These things aren't going to do anything for you. And this guy's sitting here, you know, crafting these gods up, hearing the stories. And he's like, man, business is kind of down. Man, nobody's buying my stuff anymore. What's going on? And he starts realizing that people don't want their gods anymore because they realize that they're fake. And they realize that there's other gods and they, and they are converting to the Christian faith. And so now this guy's got a problem with it. And he comes and he gets a kind of a group together, like a, like a little mob. And he's like, listen, like this is bad for business. This is, this, is hurting, this is hurting our bank accounts. It says, he says that these gods made by human hands aren't really gods. This possesses a danger, not by only discrediting our trade. So he's like, not by only just messing with our money, but also by completely dishonoring the great good goddess Artemis. The city was thrown into turmoil. They rushed as one into the theater. They seized Gaius and Astrachus, Paul's traveling companions from the province of Macedonia. So this group is not liking the Christian faith. He's not liking what's being said. And so they choose to look at this and say, man, this is messing with our money and this is messing with our lifestyle, what we believe. And we can't have that. And so they choose to act on it. And that's the same kind of stuff that's happening today in our churches. It's the hostile world around us is choosing to come in and attack our churches and attack a body of believers because the body of believers chooses to challenge the world and what they view as God. And honestly, it does affect your money. Nobody likes to tithe, right, when we think about it at first. When you think about it, at, 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 if you don't understand why, you don't understand the, the, the benefit behind it, you don't understand the purpose. Generally speaking, in our hearts, as human nature, giving money away for free is not a fun thing to do, right? If it was, more people would do it. <laughs> like, it, It's just not natural as a human being. It's also not natural to make less money when you have opportunities to make more money. It's not in our human nature to say, you know what, I could not make $300 a day, but I kind of only want to make $150. That's not in our human nature to do those things. But yet the church should and will challenge those things and say, listen, this is something that God expects us to do. And there is a benefit in it. And when you get your heart right, it's something that you'll want to do and you'll continue to do it in your life. And the church should hold people accountable in those areas. And maybe the church will come in and say the same things about your lifestyle. Maybe we don't have false gods that we throw up on, on stands and we worship at home, but we have those false gods. We have things in our lives that say, you know what, church can wait. The body of believers can wait. Man, I got sports. It's a higher commitment. It's a higher valued thing in my life right now. My kids are in sports, so I'm just gonna relive my glory days through them because it's a higher commitment for them. And I just really like it because it was so beneficial for me as a kid. You know, my family is the most important thing in my life. So ministry can wait. You know, these things can get put on hold. I mean, these addictions that I have or these habits that I have, these parties that I go to, these, these, these substances that I take, there's, I, just, I, I just love them so much. I would rather, I value that so much more. And then when the church challenges those things, the world gets upset. You shouldn't talk about my money like that. You shouldn't talk about what I do in my free time like that. That's my way of life, and if you don't like how I do my way of life, we're gonna have a problem. And that's where the hostile world comes into play and how they choose to attack the church. It's all around us. So we have to combat this. How do we combat a hostile world? Well, there's well, three things in one that we put here. But to combat this danger, we must, one, expect it. Two, defend Christ. And also underneath that, you can put the word gospel. Because he was the living word of God. So defend Christ slash the gospel. And then thirdly, live like Christ. You see, we can't do anything about the hostile world. We have to expect it. It's going to come. The world will never be friendly. It never was towards Christians, and it never will be. Jesus himself was killed and put on a cross. If he can't change the world's view of us, then none of us will. (laughs) Like, If that dude cannot change the hostile world, we should never expect we will be able to do it either. But as long as we can expect it, we can prepare ourselves for it by defending the gospel, defending Christ in that relationship. And that's where fight or flight comes in. You know, how many of you guys would say you're fight? When you get met with confrontation, you want to just kind of puff up your chest and fight. Anybody in here, the fight? How many of you guys are flight? You're just like, you know, I'd rather get out of here. That means the rest of you guys are neutral, right? Um, which isn't any better. I'm going to get to you, too. <laughs> um, but, we, you know, when we're met with a hostile world we're with a hostility, it's a fight-or-flight mentality. And the question is, as a Christian, which one should we be? Should we be the fighters that stand up and, and fight back? Or should we be the flighters that, that, that kind of run away from that and, and go somewhere else? Well, the answer is neither. You know, <laughs> um, we shouldn't be either one. There are elements from both that we should be, but we should never be either one. Um, and, and that's kind of what we're gonna talk about a little bit in this, in this verse here because I think that damages the church doing both of those things. When somebody hurts the church and is hostile towards the church, if your natural reaction is to fly, flights, run away from it, that's not helping the church. Oh, I'm just gonna run away. I'm not gonna deal with it. I'm gonna stay away from that situation. I'm just, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna flight. That doesn't help anyone in the church or anyone in the world. That gives the world a bigger foothold that says, you know what? They're just so weak. They're just going to run. They're not going to say anything. We're going to keep pushing. We're going to keep advancing. And we're going to keep having more rights and more things in the church because they're not going to fight back. So flight mentality, that's not good. Okay, what about fight mentality? I'm going to fight right back. Well, they're going to come after me. I'm going to come right after them. And those are the Christians that you see on the sidelines with the God hates fag signs and the yelling in people's faces that you're a sinner, you're going to hell and I'm going to fight you because you're choosing to fight me. Well, that doesn't help the church either because the way that you're going about it and your tone, nobody's going to want to get involved with this. Nobody's going to want to convert to that side of the picket fence. And nobody's going to realize that there's a genuineness that happens there. Well, what if I don't do either? What if I just stay stagnant and I just kind of sit still? Well, that don't help either, you know, because if we're just going to sit here and be a part of the church but not say anything or do anything about it, well that's, well, that's what makes the church get infected even more is because then we think that that's the model that we're just supposed to be stagnant in the church. We're supposed to just show up and stay quiet. And so none of those things work, but we do get a model of what does work or what should work and can work. In 1 Peter 3, 13 through 17, it says, Who will harm you if you're zealous for good? But happy are you even if you suffer because of righteousness. So he says there is going to be some hurting that happens in the hostility. Don't be terrified or upset by them. Instead, regard Christ as Lord as holy in your hearts. Whenever anyone asks you to speak of your hope, be ready to defend it. So, boom, flight's gone. You have to defend it. So we're still on the fight pattern, right? But what does it say after that? Yet do this... With a respectful humility, maintaining a good conscience. The way you fight for your faith, can you sleep at night knowing what you said was appropriate? Can you go home feeling like what you said was respectful? What you said, this is a big one, was humble showed that you don't know everything, that you are not better. When you communicate with other people in the church, when you communicate with people in the world, how do you do it as a disciple? Do you come across very arrogant, very self-righteous, very you know better, or they did wrong and I'm trying to do right, so I'm going to get all attitude-y with them? Is that the way that you come across? Or... Do you come across in a way that that person can say, you know, I don't really like what they said to me, but I respect them? Something, something years ago that somebody had said to me about when I got challenged in my relationship with God was, I've heard this a lot, it's like, well, you don't, don't necessarily listen to how they're saying it. Listen to what they're saying. Try to find the meat in that. And there is a part of me in my immaturity that I'm like, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Maybe they don't know how to talk to people. And so I I probably do need to listen to what they're saying and not necessarily how they're saying it to me. But you best believe as a leader, as a a disciple, it does matter how you say it. You cannot be a jerk to people. You cannot act self-righteously around people. You cannot walk around arrogantly and acting like you know your stuff better than everybody else. It does matter how you say it to people. And as Christians, we have the responsibility and the obligation to confront the world in a hostile world and confront, and we'll get to the members as well. You, you have an obligation to talk to people in a way that helps Christ, not hurts him in their lives. We are the bridge. And it's so important that we watch our tone and how we talk about Christ when we talk to other people. Do this with humility, maintaining a good conscience. Act in this way so that those who malign your good lifestyle in Christ may be ashamed when they slander you. See, you do this because if you do it the right way and then they attack you back, I mean, they're going to be the ones that feel the guilt. You know, that's between them and God, but it's not about you anymore. It is better to suffer for good than by doing evil. You see, we defend the gospel by living it out and how we defend it. That's kind of a crazy thought, right? How do you defend the gospel? Well, you gotta live it out while you're defending it. You gotta do it the same way that you got to live it the same way you're saying it. And look it says here in Second Timothy. Paul later down the road talks to Timothy, a young preacher. Right? Some of you guys know like Robert Cox at the crossings over there. That's like a that's like a Paul in a way to me. And I feel like I'm a Timothy. I'm like a, a young preacher that doesn't no words, right? <laughs> and trying to figure out how to do stuff. And, and I, can, I can imagine this is kind of, could be like a connection here that Paul could be talking to a Timothy like me. And so I read Timothy in a way that I, I try to reflect myself. And it says, preach the word. Paul says, he says, preach the word, be ready to do, be ready to do it, whether it's convenient or inconvenient. And what he's saying is, you need to be ready to preach the word, whether people are willing to listen or whether they're willing to be hostile. Listen, you know, other translations say do it in season and out of season. Do it when it's accepted and when it's not accepted. You've got to be ready to do it no matter what the time is. Correct, confront, and encourage with patience and instruction. Doesn't say get on a pulpit and be arrogant. Get on a pulpit and be self-righteous. It says correct, confront, and encourage with patience and instruction. There will come a time when people will not tolerate sound teaching. And this is the frustrating part about this verse because even after all of that, people still may not like it. They may not want to do it. They may not want to be here. It says, They will collect teachers who say what they want to hear because they are self-centered. They will turn their back on the truth and turn amiss. But you must keep control of yourself in all circumstances. Endure suffering, but do the work of a preacher but do the work of a preacher of the good news and carry out your service fully. You see, what he's saying is is that we have an obligation as the church to be consistent in these things and do them in a loving way, do them in an encouraging way, the way that we talk to people. And still, at best, we might win a few. But after, after time, some people are going to go somewhere else and hear what they want to hear. And they're going to leave. And they're going to go find something that just fulfills their thought process and fulfills their own theology on what they believe. But our responsibility is to always carry out the good work and carry it out in a way that's pleasing to God and is helpful to to those around us. So that's the hostile world. The last point, the last danger, is probably one of the more important ones is the danger of a hypocritical member. The danger of a hypocritical member, and this is not the fun one to talk about, (laughs) um, especially as a leader in the church. The danger of hypocritical members. And we have some here. Just is what it is. Every church does. Everybody of believers has some hypocrites. Um, You want me to point them out? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know who they are. uh, but we have them. You know, we have people in our church that have heart issues. We have people in our church that have different motives. We have people in our church that choose to value other things above God. Every church does. Every church has hypocrites. It's just part of the story, just like it was in the first century, just like we get a warning here in Acts 20. It says, Watch yourselves and the whole flock in which the Holy Spirit has placed you as supervisors. So he's talking about leaders here, and he's saying this. He says, to shepherd God's church, which he obtained with the death of his own son. But then he says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you and won't spare the flock. It's not talking about the world. It's not talking about the, this hostile world we talked about earlier. It's not talking about the, the, the government's going to come in and, and all these unchristians are going to come in. It's saying there's going to be some wolves that come into your flock. They're going to be your flock. Some of your own people will distort the word in order to lure followers after them. Stay alert. Remember that for three years, I constantly and tearfully warned each one of you. I never stopped warning you. You know how crazy that would be for three years to have a leader come in and say, when I leave one day, there are going to be people who join this church and they are going to lure other people out of it. So you better be ready. And I, and I preached on that for three years and laced it in there to all my sermons and all my lessons And the West did the same thing. And every time we preach, we'd always be like, well, you know, pull out your communication card. And I'll be like, well, just remember one day when we leave, there's going to be people that are going to be wolves that are going to come in and they're going to lure people out of this church for three years if we did that. That's what happened here. And he's telling them, like, don't be surprised because it's going to happen. And sure enough, it does. And that's a huge danger that the church presents. You see, nobody comes into a church and says, you know what? I want to find the most spiritually righteous, the most mature, the most wise person. I want to find the highest person on the totem pole when it comes to faith. And that's like the lowest of my standards. That's the the least I want to do with my life. Man, it would be great if the majority of people did that, right? If they found the strongest person in the church in their faith and said, "That's that's that's the least I will expect in my life. But what happens, unfortunately, is people will come into a church and say, let me find the weak link. Let me find the hypocrites. Let me find the lowest on the totem pole. Because that's the most I want to do. So if they're only going to come once a month, well, that's the most I'm going to do, once a month. See, the church is only as, it's, is only as strong as the weakest link. Because the weakest link is the definition of the standard that the leadership holds the church to. So whatever our leadership at the Crossings Church has set in stone, as this is our standard, This is what we believe our members and what we expect out of our members in the crossings church. That is the lowest standard that we would expect and take as a member of our church. And anyone who falls behind that standard or underneath that standard, we will hold them accountable to. We will challenge them back up to that standard because that's what we possess within the church. Because we know as a leadership that anyone who falls underneath that standard of what God's word says and how they choose to Uh, apply it to their lives is going to be hypocritical in the way that they choose to live and act and it's going to damage and it's going to cheat people out of seeing a full relationship with God and what he can do in their lives. And so we hold that very seriously as a leadership here at the Crossings Church that there is a huge danger with hypocritical members. So how do we combat that? We do that in two ways. Um, And these aren't fun. The first one at least isn't. To combat that danger, we must deal with unrepentant sin. To combat this danger, I must deal with unrepentant sin. And now for a minute, we're going to talk about members versus members. We're going to talk about disciples for disciples. So if you haven't committed your life to Christ, no, well, you're off the hook for a second. Okay. <laughs> um, if, but if you have committed your life to Christ, and you are a member of this church, and you are under the authority of the leadership of this church, this is for you. All right? 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 13, it says, I wrote to you earlier in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. But I wasn't talking about the sexually immoral people in the outside world by any means, or the greedy, or the swindlers, or the people who worship false gods. Otherwise, you'd have to leave the world entirely. You see, if this was just talking about not associating with sinners, this would contradict the entire Bible. If he's saying, I told you not to associate with sexual immoral people, well, doesn't the Bible also say we're supposed to seek and save the lost? Doesn't it say we're supposed to seek and save the world? So there's a contradiction. Psh, Bible's fake, you know, end the story. Let's go home, right? That's not what he's saying here. He's talking specifically to members of the body of Christ on how they choose to talk and act and associate with other members in the body of Christ. It says, but now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who calls themselves brother or sister. That's the family of God. Your brothers in Christ, your sisters in Christ. Who is sexually immoral, greedy, someone who worships false gods, an abusive person, a drunk, a swindler. Don't even eat with anyone like this. Yikes. What do I care about judging outsiders? Isn't it your job to judge insiders? God will judge outsiders. Expel the evil one from among you. Ouch. I really wish it was Wes's week to preach. <laughs> I don't want to talk about this stuff. Um, it's not fun to talk about church discipline. That's what, that's what, that's what, the, that's what we would call it today is church discipline is what we're talking about here. And this list that he talks about with the sexual moral and things like that, it's not talking about, we got to make sure this is clear too, it's not talking about if you have done this. It's not talking about if you struggle with this. This context of this scripture is saying, if there are people that you call brother or sister in Christ and they are choosing to live like this, They are choosing to accept this lifestyle and they're gonna continue to do this lifestyle. And it's very easy for us to look at this list and stop at the first one, right? And we see sexually immoral. And I'm like, man, that's like the big one, right? For some reason, like sexual sin in the church is like the, the most taboo thing to talk about. But honestly, it is probably the most real thing to talk about. I would say in my 10 years of campus ministry, probably 10 plus years, hundreds of men I have discipled Probably 95% of them, if, if not more, have struggled with sexual sin. Almost every single man I have discipled has struggled with sexual sin. I have struggled with sexual sin. It's very easy to be one of those things that we talk about um, in our small groups or here at the Crossings Church But when we look at it and we talk about it out loud, it's one of the most, like, taboo things. It's like, oh, man, they're really struggling. then if they're struggling with sexual sin, like, uh, I don't know if church is really for them. If this is where they're going to do with their lives. If they're having sex with each other, like, that's crazy. College kids having sex? Who would have (laughs) thought? Right? You know what I'm saying? But that's the way we look at it. We're like, man, that's insane. College kids struggling with sex and and they're trying to be Christians, too? Ugh, there's no way. Right? And we think that sexual sin is this this like big, huge, crazy, ugly sin. Well, I want to go a little bit further. Greedy? How many of you guys don't tithe? Ooh. Yeah, you probably don't like me saying that, huh? How many grown men and women, how many grown adults choose not to give money to your Lord? Right? You're fully grown men and women. You make 20 times the amount of these college kids, but yet you withhold your money from your Lord and Savior who gave you that money in the first place. Is that not the same kind of greed that college kids struggle with in their sexual morality? Is it not the same sin? Is not all sin the same? But yet it's easier to ostracize sexual sin when it doesn't matter what age we are, we all have heart issues. Worshiping other gods. Okay. Maybe you do tithe. Maybe you don't show a sexual sin, but maybe you got a family and you value what your family does outside of the church more than what they do inside the church. Maybe you worship other things in your life. Maybe you worship your job more than you do your church. Maybe you worship your family more than you do your God. Maybe you worship the things that you're invested in in your life, whether it be hobbies or, or, or um, just habits or different things that you look at in your life and you say, you know what? I know I got this church thing going, but I also got this thing going in my life too and it's going pretty good right now. That is no different than sexual sin. That is no different than greed. And I think honestly here at the Crossing Church, we need to, we need to reevaluate our standard and hold our people higher to it. Because I think there's a lot of people living underneath that standard, and there's a lot of things in this sexually immoral, in this greed and this worshiping other idols that we aren't holding people to that standard like we should. And I want to do a better job, even myself as a small group leader, to address these issues. And I even talked about that with my men this last week about, listen, we've got to attack this more. The issues that we're dealing with, we've got to attack this more aggressively, because it's not enough to just say we struggle. If there's not life change happening, then there's not a struggle anymore. It's a lifestyle. And I think our leadership needs to do a better job for you guys in here that are leaders. You need to do a better job of holding your people to a higher standard. It needs to happen. And I think we have to do this because it is our obligation as shepherds of the church. It literally says here in scripture, it says, what do I care about judging outsiders? Isn't it, your job to judge insiders? As a member of the Crossings Church, sometimes maybe you feel judged by your leader, right? You're like, man, I'm feeling really judged when they're attacking me. Good, you should. You should feel judged because it's their job to do that. It is our job to judge our congregation, our membership, and say, listen, I'm not judging whether you're going to hell or heaven, but I'm judging your lifestyle. And what I'm saying is it does not align with your relationship with God and what the Word says. And if you don't like it, go somewhere else. Because to be honest, every single one of us, even me, we could go find a different church that will not judge us. They're all over. You want to fit in? You don't want to feel uncomfortable? Go somewhere else. But I'll tell you what right now, if you find that in another church, that's not a real church. That's not a church that's trying to honor God. That's not a church ran by shepherds that are choosing to honor Scripture. That's a church that's going to enable. That's a church that's going to accept anything. And that's a church that's not going to deal with sin in a way that's going to promote life change. And that's what we're about here at the Crossings Church. We truly believe that we want to hold our members to a high standard because we believe that's what happened in the first century. And because of that, there was life change, and there was generations, and there were cycles broke. If I didn't have men come into my life and say, listen, dude, your sin is going to destroy your relationship with God. And if you don't get things right, you're going to repeat the same cycles that your dad did. And I did not like what I was hearing. But man, am I grateful that they said it. I am grateful that I had men come into my life and say those kind of things because I am the father that I am today. I'm the husband that I am today because of the men that came into my life and said those things. I wasn't the man I needed to be up until I was 18 or 19 years old because I grew up in a church that didn't say one thing to me about my sin. I struggled with porn as a kid. I slept around with the girls in high school and I was definitely going to church through it all. And I knew that there was people in my church at that time when I was a little kid that knew what I was doing in my life. I valued baseball more than anything. And I knew the people in that church at that time knew what my life was about. And they didn't say one thing to me. So I thought what I was doing was totally fine. There are churches out there, if you want that, you can find it. But that will not be the Crossing Church. And if it ever becomes that, I will not be a member here anymore. I want my kids to be held to a high standard. You guys should too. But if you want that for your kids, you need it for yourself as well. Unrepentant sin is not fun. It's not fun for me to go and talk with somebody and say, listen, if you're not gonna deal with this, you need to find another church because you cannot live in this lifestyle and be a member here. But if you wanna struggle with it, you wanna start working through it, you wanna deal with it, man, this is your home because that's what we're all trying to do. The first part isn't fun, but the second part can bring encouragement. So to combat this after the unrepentant sin is dealt with, to combat this, we must have repentance and restoration as our goal. You see, you don't say the hard things to hurt somebody. You don't say it to be arrogant. You don't say it to be self-righteous. You say it because you want there to be a bridge for hope. And I can combat this, and once I have done it, it says that you can have repentance and restoration. In this last verse today, 2 corinthians 2 it says the majority of you have imposed a severe enough punishment on that person it's funny it says the majority of you right because there's gonna be some soft people in the church right there's gonna be some enablers not everybody's gonna do it right it says the majority of you have imposed a severe enough punishment i think about sometimes like when my when my wife and i uh we started disciplining our kids it was really my wife disciplining my kids and i was just there for moral support um because i didn't want to be the bad guy and so uh there's, there's times like, you need to whoop them. And I was like, all right, you know, don't do that again because mom is going to get you next time. <laughs> like, and so that's, that's, that can happen in a church. And that's why it's funny. It says the majority of you have imposed it. It's because there's soft people in the church. There's some people in the church that will not impose it. They'll stand by and they'll say, man, you heard what's been going on with that guy over there? Man, it was crazy. And then he walks up to the conversation. Oh, hey, man, how's it going? Nothing's dealt with. We're not talking about it, right? Don't say anything, don't say anything. And then he walks away. I'm like, man, I know it's crazy. <laughs> and, we, and we go back at it because we won't say what we need to say. We won't impose things the way we need to. Luckily, though, that the majority of a church and a highly valued church in their relationship with God, the majority will. I believe at the crossings, the majority of us try to hold people to a higher standard. But there are some people that, just like I'm the dad that barely spanks my kids, that I'm like, you're not being stern enough with these people. You need to challenge these people, but luckily the majority will. It says, so now after that's happened and the harshness has happened, the dealing with the sin has happened, forgive and comfort them. Such distress could overwhelm somebody like that if he's not forgiven and comforted. You know I've went so hard on some people and challenged the mess out of their life and judged them because of what I see in their life that if I did not follow it up with compassion, with hope, with love, it would have destroyed their life. Because that's what sin does to us, does it not? Have you ever had sin in your life, and somebody talks to you and you just start bawling your eyes out and you say, "I just I feel so lost. I feel so hopeless." I feel alone. I don't feel like I can ever get past this. And then somebody comes in and confronts that and says, this is what I see in your life and it's destroying you. And you're like, I already know. I've been dealing with it for a long time and I don't know what I'm supposed to do. If that person's like, okay, well, at least you identified it. We'll see, you you know, (laughs) and left at that, You know how much that could destroy somebody to not have a link or a bridge to reconnect? So don't be willing to do the first part if you're not willing to follow up with the second part. It says such distress could overwhelm somebody like that if he's not forgiven and comforted. That is why I urge you to assure him that you love him. You have to let people know you love them before you confront them. If they don't know you love them, then don't say the hard things to them. But find somebody that does or take the time to love that person. I had also written to you to test you. I wanted to see if you would be obedient in every way. So he's he's checking to see if he's a soft guy as well. He's checking to see if he's an enabler as well. I needed needed to make sure that you were going to do what I asked you to do. If you forgive somebody, so do I. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, I did in the presence of Christ for your benefit. I don't want Satan to outwit us. After all, we are not ignorant about Satan's scheming. You see, you guys, today was kind of a hard lesson, and it's not a fun one to ever talk about. But the reality is, is you should want a church that attacks these dangers. Because there's a lot of churches in our world, there's a lot of churches in America that know that these dangers are here and they're not preparing themselves on how to work through them and how to fight through them. And some churches are changing their theology, some churches are changing their structure, some churches are changing how they operate, some churches are changing their location, some churches are changing A, B, and C, fill in the blank. They're changing everything about themselves because they don't wanna deal with the danger. But here at the Crossings Church, we are preparing for that danger. We are getting our membership ready because we don't ever want to change our standard. We want God's word to always be our standard, and that should never be changing. The first century was able to do it, so why can't we? They dealt with the same struggles that we deal with. They deal with the same same issues that we deal with today. But their standard never changed. They knew what they stood for. And the world still crashed down on them, and they stood by it. And there's still a body of believers today that can continue the story. And that's us. So for the next hundred years, what will the church look like because of what standard we choose to uphold? And that's my challenge for you today. So if you want to pull out that communication card, I'd really encourage you guys all to do that. That communication card, there's a cardstock piece of paper in your notes that has an opportunity for you to write your name, some information, things like that. That's an opportunity for you guys to respond. And... You know, wherever you're at today, if you're a member of our church and you're looking at your lifestyle and you're looking at these dangers and and the way you've compared them and maybe you need some more help, I'd I'd encourage you guys to write in those prayer comment sections. to Look at your life and say, man, there are some things that I have not prepared myself well for yet. I don't know enough about scripture. I don't know A, B, and C. If you're visiting with us and, you know, like this is a harder lesson to, to hear, but honestly, if I was a visitor today in our church and this is what I was hearing, it would kind of encourage me to know like, hey, this place is the real deal. Like This place isn't willing to just avoid hard topics. This place isn't a place that's just going to uh, sweep things under the rug. This place sounds like they actually know their stuff and they're trying to deal with it and they're trying to move forward. But I'm also only words on the stage. You know, The Bereans themselves checked to see if what Paul was saying was true in Scripture, and I encourage you to get connected to some people to see if I'm just talking out of my butt or if I'm trying to help you guys understand that we are the real deal. And you can do that by a couple different ways. You can try to connect to people within the, within the church. So maybe check that you'd like to know more about our small groups to see like, really, I really wanna know what this church is about. Let's see if he's really, you know, if what he's saying really happens in this small group se- se- setting. Or maybe you don't know enough about God's word. You're like, man, I have a theology. I know a little bit about Jesus, but like, I don't know how to defend it. Maybe check you like a Bible study and get somebody in the word with you. Um, I don't know where you're at. Even our leadership, maybe you guys need some more accountability. Maybe check that you haven't, you know, maybe write something in there about how you need some more advice, some more guidance or, or on how to be more stern, how to, how to uphold our standard, whatever it is. Everyone in our, on our body of believers needs to be held to a high standard, even myself. You know, even Wes and I, you know, we, we, we preach. That our, our, our span of leadership doesn't end here. Wes and I, even we go to a meeting on Wednesday mornings with a staff of more mature, more wise, more experienced preachers. and and teachers and churches and we connect with them and we expose issues that we have, struggles that we have, things that are happening in our church and we try to get wisdom as well because we're not dictators of this church. We wanna do the best we can to uphold scripture in this church and so there's lots of things that we're still learning and working on ourselves and that's the kind of church that you're a part of and that's the kind of church that you can be a part of and so if you have any questions or any thoughts about church or discipline or the dangers or anything like that, feel free to talk to me. Um, But I encourage you guys all to fill out that card. We're going to sing a song here in a minute to give you guys a time to fill out that card. And then uh, the worship leader will give you guys some further instructions. All right, let's pray. Um, God, thank you again for the church. Thank you again for the opportunity to to have a church, a body of believers like this. God, I've been in both worlds. I've been in in churches that have stayed quiet, that have not dealt with issues, um, that have not helped me. And I've been in churches, God, uh, that have been encouraging and have been confrontational and have dealt with issues. And so, God, I'm so grateful to see the difference in my lifestyle between the experiences that I've had in both those churches, Lord, that I found a body of believers that want to hold your standard true, that want to hold a relationship with you true, and how it's impacted my marriage, how it's impacted my, my role as a parent, and how it's impacted my relationships and how I treat those around me, Lord. So thank you again for your son. Thank you again for providing, providing people in my life to help me with these issues. Um, and just, God, and just thank you for the church. Thank you for the for, for the people that you've blessed me with and that I can now do this life with together, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.